Hey, good evening, everybody. My name is Renee, and I am thrilled to see you here. I'm wondering what kind of mood you're in tonight. We're in the middle of a series called Mood. Are you in a good mood? Yeah. Bad mood? Anybody? Bad mood? It's okay. You can be honest. I, I want you to watch a video, and I want you to see if you can recognize the mood in the video. All right? Ruby, what happened? What did you do? You annihilated my snowman. Are you sorry? Are you sorry? Ruby, don't do it again. Okay. I just love that. Some of you might recognize Ruby. She belongs to John and Sherry Good, who go to our church. And when I saw that, I, I talked to her. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be talking about Ruby's mood at Young Adults. And I wanted, wanted to know if I could show it. So anybody, what, what mood do we see Ruby displaying? Shame. You see the shame, her body language, the way she keeps her head down and she kind of looks up from the tops of her eyes. She's so ashamed because she knows she did something that she shouldn't do. And I'm, I'm wondering, and I'm not going to make you raise your hands. Like a lot of times speakers make people do that. Like raise your hand if you've ever felt shame. That would be ridiculous because I know every single one of us in this room has dealt with shame at some point in our journey. And you might even be, in fact, be feeling that tonight. And, and so I'm hoping uh, to, to help you find a way to keep from being like Ruby. Uh, we got a picture of Ruby in some special shame garb. The cone of shame. The cone of shame. Any of you, any of you here tonight wearing the cone of shame? My hope is that by the end of the evening, you're ready to take that thing off and move from a place of shame to a place of grace, walking in the grace of God. So what does shame look like on you? We know what it looks like on Ruby, but what does shame look like on you? Shame can come in a lot of different ways. And here's the thing. I feel like there are some, you know, big target areas that get a lot of attention these days, especially in the church, and they are important. A lot of people, maybe even people in this room, we're going to talk about some of my story later, dealing with shame related to sexual sin, maybe to habits such as watching pornography. And, and I'm not saying those things are not important, but shame can look 101 different ways, can it? And so some of you tonight might be dealing with shame because you're like, man, if, if people just knew about my eating disorder... Maybe you are anorexic or maybe you're bulimic or maybe your problem goes the other way and you have an eating disorder where you eat too much. We feel ashamed of these things. What about money? What if you've racked up a lot of credit card debt and you're ashamed because you know it was foolish and it could have been avoided and you're here tonight and you're thinking, if people knew, if people knew how foolish I've been with my money, I'm, I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed of myself. You know, maybe some of you have, have a diagnosis of something. Maybe you've been diagnosed with a mental illness. Maybe as a child you were diagnosed with ADD. And those things follow you and you're ashamed. And you think, if people, if people knew this about me, I just couldn't bear it. I just couldn't bear it if people knew this about me. 
Sometimes I think too, it's, it's things like if people knew how I acted at work, I don't act at all at work like I do at church or at young adults. I would be so ashamed if somebody showed up at my workplace and saw the way I act. Or maybe you're ashamed because of the way you treat your parents. Maybe you, maybe you feel like you, you, you're a phony when you're here. You'd be ashamed if people knew the way you talk to your mom and dad. What does shame look like on you? I want you to think very specifically tonight about the thing that you're carrying. And for, for some of us, it might be multiple things. Think very specifically about it. I'll tell you some, some ways that shame has looked on me over the years. I was processing this. I was with my mom and my sister and my kids and my nieces last Saturday. And I was telling them that I was talking about this. And I said, my earliest memory of shame, and I can, I can giggle about it now, but I'm, I was four years old, okay? I was four and I recognized shame. I had a little, we had a, a neighbor boy. We, we lived in a split house and he and I went behind the fence and he pulled down his underwear to show me what was going on. <laughs> And somehow our parents found out. My mom told me last week, she's like, oh, his mom said it was all your idea. I have no idea. I'm like, well, he was the one with his pants down, so I, don't, I really don't know. But I was four years old and he was three. And I knew better and I was ashamed. And my dad came home that night from work and wailed my behind for it. And I was mortified. And I turned around the next day and I did the same thing again. And my dad came home from work and wailed my behind a second time. And I'm telling you that I was done. I was done. But I remember at the age of four feeling so ashamed because even though nobody had ever talked to me about sexuality, I knew something about that was wrong. And I was ashamed. I remember in first grade, this is my first school shame. We all have stories of school shame. First grade, and we were playing, oh, what's it called? Traveling or something with, with flashcards, math flashcards. And then if you get it right, you move on to the next person and you compete, you travel around the room. And, and I was talking to a boy named Brian. We were just talking during the game. And the teacher said I had to stand for recess because we were talking. And I, I was a good kid. Like I was not a troublemaker. And I had to stand at recess and put my head down on my desk. And I remember I sobbed. Little first grade Renee sobbed in her arms on her desk because I was mortified to be singled out as the girl who talked while playing a math game and had to miss recess. So ashamed. So ashamed. I remember when I got to high school. Now I grew up uh, in the Mennonite church and I'm very, very grateful for my heritage, but there were certain things I just wasn't exposed to. And so in the school where I grew up, we played a lot of... Um, baseball and soccer, sports such as that. So I got to public high school and we had to do gymnastics and tumbling. I had no earthly clue what I was doing. And it was mortifying. And I had made a few friends my freshman year and God bless their hearts. <laughs> they tried their best to help me on the balance beam, help me to do some stuff on the mat. I mean, I did the pommel horse once, fell, just about died. That was the end of that career. But like, I was so ashamed that I didn't know how to do this stuff because everybody else knew what to do. And worse than that, I always got good grades. And I got, I'll never forget this. I got a a D in tumbling and an F in gymnastics. 
That had never happened to me before. So I was ashamed at my lack of ability and I was ashamed at the grades of my report card. Like I can look back at this stuff and laugh now, but it was no laughing matter at the time because I knew I wasn't cutting it. I knew I wasn't measuring up. And what was worse, everybody else knew it too. And that was the worst part. That was the worst part. Do you remember that stupid little phrase people used to say, shame, shame, everybody knows your name? Isn't that the problem with shame? It's one thing to just feel bad about it inside, but when everybody knows your name, like why can't they remember the good stuff, the times we were impressive, the times we got it right? But you screw up, you screw up one time in math class and have to miss recess, and I felt like I was marked for life by that one incident. I wasn't. I'm sure nobody remembers it, but I knew. But it's that shame, shame, everybody knows my name. And I think that's the, that is one of our biggest hindrances to getting to the other side of shame is if I talk about it, everyone will know. Everyone will know. And, and, and why do we care? A lot of different reasons. We know, quite frankly, some people will not understand. Some people will judge us. Some people may say unkind things. We're scared people will think less of us, will think we're a fraud. If we did something that went directly against our Christian faith, we'll think they'll realize I'm a, I'm a pretty lousy Christian. I'm, I'm a fraud. At least that's what we're afraid they're gonna think. And there might be some people that do. But how do we get past that? How do we get to the other side of shame? Because it will follow us. Shame will follow us. So I wanna share with you some things that have been really helpful for me over the years. Probably, and, and I, I mean, I could give you lots of stories of shame. Lots of them are really minor, like the ones I've already shared with you. We all have those. But I've got some that are bigger that I'm, that I'm ashamed of. And some of you know parts of our story. Gary and I have been really open with a lot of you about the fact that we were sexually active when we were dating. And that was such a, such a source of shame for both of us for so many years. Because I thought, if people knew, if people knew that I wasn't who they thought I was, I would just be mortified. I just don't think I could ever get over it if people knew that part of my story. It was so humiliating. And then the first couple of years of our marriage, we watched some pornography together. Now that's, that's gonna sound minor to you, but at, back in that day, you actually had to work to watch it. It wasn't available on a device you held in your hand. And so you had to go to a bit of trouble to watch pornography back in the day. And I was so ashamed. I could make excuses. I could say, well, nobody really talked about it back in our day. Nobody really warned us of the dangers of it, the addictive nature of it. And that might all be true, but I knew. I knew it was wrong. And so these were areas of such incredible shame for so much of my adult life. And, and I'm really here to testify tonight that even though I will always regret having done those things, I no longer feel ashamed about it. And I wanna kind of help you flesh out a little bit of that journey and what that looks like and, and give you some keys that I'm hoping will help you be set free from whatever shame you brought in that door tonight. I think one real key is to understand the difference between guilt and shame. They sound a lot alike in your ear. They feel a lot alike in your heart, but they're very, very different. 
Guilt says, I did a bad thing. Shame says, I'm a bad person. Do you catch the difference? Shame, uh, excuse me, guilt is about what I've done. Shame is about who I am, who I perceive myself to be. And it's key to understand the difference between the two. It's the difference between guilt saying, I told a lie, and shame says, you're a big fat liar. Guilt says, I cheated. Shame says, you're a big fat cheater. There's a huge difference. And guess which one is the voice of the enemy in your ear? It's shame. God would look at you and say, yes, you did tell a lie. But the enemy is the one that says, oh, you're a big fat liar. That's his voice when you hear that. And they're two different things. I mean, we're all guilty. We're all guilty, but we don't have to all carry shame. So let me just read you a couple of scriptures here. Romans 3.10, just in case anyone is sitting here in this seat and thinking, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I'm looking around at all these nice Christian people in this room. And if they knew, if they knew the truth about me, they wouldn't really want me to be part of their group. And I'm here to tell you, I know enough of your stories to tell you that's not true. That's not true, okay? All right, Romans 3.10 says this, and the scriptures agree for it is written, there is no one who always does what is right. No, not even one. Not a single person in this room, not even Gary, who is really close to perfect, all right? There is no one in this room who always does right. Second scripture, Romans 3.23, later in that same chapter, for we all have sinned and are in need of the glory of God, all right? So we, in this room, we are all in this together. I mean, we have that much in common. If you're, you know, if you're looking for some, I mean, I, I wish we had something in common. We all have this in common. We've all got it in common. So, Neither guilt nor shame feel very good, but they will point you in very different directions, all right? So here's what guilt does. Guilt can actually be helpful because guilt shows you where your actions did not line up with your beliefs. Guilt shows you where you fell short. So I have certain standards according to the Bible that I aspire to live according to, all right? And so when I feel guilty, it is a sign to me I missed the mark on something, I didn't quite hit it on that. Guilt can actually be very helpful because listen, if we didn't have guilt, if we didn't have a conscience, then how would we know that we did something wrong? We might not know. I mean, haven't you ever done something wrong and then later it hits you? So your conscience can actually be helpful. Guilt can actually push you toward making better decisions, toward repentance. Guilt is, guilt is pivotal. But shame is destructive because shame makes you feel like I am not worthy of love. I am not worthy of relationship. I'm not worthy of anybody thinking anything good about me. And shame will stop you in your tracks, whereas guilt will push you forward into something new, something better. So how can you, how can you test the difference? Because like I said, they, they can sound a lot alike. They can feel a lot alike. How can you test the difference when you're struggling with these emotions? Well, guilt is a pivot point from guilt. And, and that's the word that God gave me for, for 
2020, that it was going to be a pivotal year. And what happens when you pivot? You know, I picture someone walking and they get to a certain spot and then they like pivot on their heel and they go a different direction. And that's what guilt can do. It gives you a pivot point. It says, okay, you messed up. You're right here and you don't want to be, you shouldn't be. And so you can pivot now and you can go a different direction. It gives you a chance to start over and to start fresh. Guilt leads us to repent. Guilt leads us to apologize to people. Guilt leads us to make things right. Guilt leads us to mend broken relationships. All right, that's how you can tell if it's guilt. What about shame? Shame makes you feel paralyzed. Guilt moves you to action. Shame makes you feel paralyzed. Like, I'm scared to do anything. I'm scared to talk. I'm scared to move. I'm scared to be in a relationship of any kind with anybody because then I might be exposed and they'll know who I really am. And so if you feel paralyzed, that's shame telling you, just sit there nice and still and shut up. That's shame. That'll always be shame. Now, guilt is necessary for God's plan in your life to be revealed, the one of repentance and restoration. Shame is necessary for the enemy's plan in your life to keep you quiet and to keep you still. Because the enemy will try to use shame to shut you down and to shut you up. It's one of his biggest fears because he knows if you get a hold of this thing, you're gonna be a force to be reckoned with. If you deal with a sin in your life and if you use it as an agent, and we'll talk about this later, if, if you use it as an agent of, of change and you use it to minister to other people, he knows he's lost because you're gonna go out and you're gonna change the world. And he can't have that. He can't have that. And so he's gotta keep you quiet. He's gotta keep you still. He's gotta keep you paralyzed. I think this is interesting. I looked up the meaning of the word shame, not in the dictionary, but according to the Strong's Concordance. Like what did shame mean originally in the Bible? It had two different parts to it, which were so fascinating to me. Shame actually means put to silence. That's the literal meaning. So isn't that what happens when you start to feel bad about yourself? You start to feel ashamed. You shut down and you shut up because you don't want people to know the truth. The second part of shame is this. It means to wound, pierce, prick, or injure. Isn't that what it feels like when the enemy tries to use shame against you? It just feels like somebody's poking, prodding. Remember? Remember what you did? Remember? Don't forget, I remember. And, and, and it keeps poking and prodding and it, it injures us, it pricks us. The enemy uses shame to make us feel unworthy because what happens when we feel unworthy? Well, then we don't pursue relationships with other people because we assume they won't like us. So he, get, he wins right there. We're not gonna open up and be bold about our faith because we're afraid someone might discover we're a fraud, that we're not really as great as we pretend that we are. So he keeps us silent. So suddenly we're not relating to the people we should be relating to and we're not loving the people we should be loving. And then we, you know, it can, okay, you think about me. God's given me an opportunity to speak. Imagine if I had allowed shame to keep me silent because that was one of my big fears. God, if I ever talk about it, I might actually have to get up on stage and say it in front of actual real people. And I don't want to do that. So I'll just be quiet. And then he wins. So it's another part of his strategy. He tries so hard to knock us off track so that we never reach our destiny in Christ. I used to think to myself, and this, this, is, this is 
funny, not really, but kind of. But you know what they do to people who run for public office? They dig up every little last piece of dirt they can find. And then they plaster it all over the media. And I used to think to myself, and, and, and you might laugh about this, but I would think to myself, if I ever ran for public office, which I have no desire to do, I'd be like, this would come out. People would know. I could never run for public office. Like I just, it sounds ridiculous, but I would just think that to myself. I could never run for public office because then this, the world would know. The world would know. Well, what if that had been my destiny? The enemy would have shut me down right there. Say, yeah, you don't want to do that, honey. Too risky. People will know. I think it's time that we start calling the enemy out instead of letting him call us out because it really is possible to be free from shame. Because first of all, shame is based on a lie. So the lie is, you're a bad person. That's the lie that we believe about ourselves for whatever reason. And there's 101 other things I didn't even mention tonight as sources of possible shame. But it's all based on a lie. Yes, we've all done some things. Scripture proves that and we've proven it in our own lives. We've all done some things that we are ashamed of that we wish we hadn't done. But to say that we're a bad person, that doesn't line up with scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is very clear for those of us that have come to know Christ. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That's very, very, very clear. So if you're believing that you're a bad person, you're believing a lie. That's not even scriptural because scripture says, no, if you're in Christ, that old you is gone. Do you ever look at an old picture of yourself and think, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, like my hair, that outfit, those shoes, like seriously, why did I think duck lips were cool? I mean, you know, whatever. Whatever it is, like you look at a picture and you just cringe because you're like, oh, that's so not who I am anymore. Exactly. It's not who you are anymore. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so it is important to start right there with yourself when the thoughts of shame come and say, you want this? I'm actually believing a lie right now and I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm gonna agree with what scripture says that the new is here. Romans 6, 6 says this, knowing this, that our old self, the old self with the bad hair and the bad shoes, the old self with the bad attitude, the bad sin, was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You're not a slave to sin. Sometimes we still trip up, but you're not a slave to it anymore. That old you is dead. It is gone. Shame tries to resurrect it and bring it back, but you have the authority in Christ to say, no, I'm sorry, it's not who I am. That old me is gone. It's important to deal with your shame by reminding yourself what God did with your guilt. Did you catch that? Deal with your shame by reminding yourself what God did with your guilt. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for God made the only one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. So we never knew how to be righteous until he gave us his righteousness. 
he didn't know what it was like to sin until he took, he took our sin. He never sinned, but he took ours. He made an exchange. That's how he dealt with our guilt. So when you come to Christ, when you first say, I'm a bit of a mess, I recognize the fact that I need someone to be in charge of me because I'm not doing it very well. I need someone to save me. I need a rescuer. And, and I'm asking Jesus to be the Lord of my life. You know, that you are instantly made righteous in the eyes of God. The problem is we've got to work to stay in righteousness. I'm not saying we lose it. I'm just saying we keep sinning because we're not perfect, because we're human. And so it's important to continue to deal with those sins as they come up and not to let them, you, know, you never watch the show Hoarders? I, just, I can't even watch it because like I'm an anti-hoarder. And so when I watch it, it just, oh, it's so uncomfortable. But we have no issue hoarding our sins. I'm telling you, if I looked in a lot of your hearts, they would look like some of those homes because you just keep hoarding your sins instead of getting rid of them and starting fresh. <laughs> I think James 5.16 has such an important key. And this, I'm telling you, this was one of the single biggest things that helped me and helped Gary to break free from the shame that we carried for all those years. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Okay, let's back up a little bit. Um, I don't have this on the screen, but 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a good deal. That's a sweet deal, right? When we become saved, that's what happens. We confess our sins. We say, I've sinned. Will you help me? And he says, absolutely. And he's like, I'm gonna make you righteous. But that's just the first part. This, this verse takes it to the next step. We were saved. We became righteous. But this says, there's something about confessing our sins to one another so that we may be healed. I knew Gary and I were forgiven. I never doubted that, but I still didn't want anybody to know. The key for us was confessing that sin to somebody else. And I cannot tell you how scary it was the first time. We were actually in a life group setting. And man, I just knew the Lord was like, this is it. You're gonna do it. This is the night. You're doing it. You're gonna say it. You're gonna speak it. And I was like, oh, I don't wanna do it. Don't make me. This is awful. And we actually got to one point where it was my turn to share. And I said, can you just wait a minute? And I leaned over to Gary and I whispered in his ear and I'm like, I think I need to say it. Like, I think it's time. And he's like, okay, go ahead. I'm telling you, once it's not a secret anymore, what's the enemy gonna do? What's he gonna do? You bring that thing out into the light. He had no hold over me anymore. He couldn't taunt me anymore. And you know what? I, I, felt, I felt awkward saying it, but it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. And the rest of the group was like, thank you so much for your honesty. We're so proud of you. And I'm telling you, some of them were your age. That's what was so awesome. It was like a mixed group of ages. We might've been the oldest people there. We were the oldest people there. Yeah, <laughs> we were. Yeah. 
And we just, they had such a powerful time where they gathered around and prayed over us. It was amazing. And so then we said it again and we said it again. And little by little, the enemy completely lost his hold because we began to confess that sin to other people. Now, I am not saying wear a sign with all your sins and go around and confess them to everybody in the general public. Not everybody is safe. Not everybody will understand. There are people that understand God's forgiveness, but they don't understand his grace. They don't understand his grace. And so because they don't understand it, they don't know how to give it to you. Their goal is not to make you feel awful most times. They just literally don't know what to say or do with it. So you wanna be safe. You wanna be with people you trust. And if that's one person, start there. Start with one person. But I'm telling you, you know, our, our life groups, we've got multiple life groups you can sign up to join if you'd like to. And it's a really great place to be safe. A lot of people have admitted a lot of things in those groups. And I think if you'd ask any of them, they, found, they would say they found it to be a place of love and acceptance. And I'm telling you, you bring that thing into the light and the enemy completely loses his power over you. He completely loses it. Your season of shame can become the soil where your destiny is birthed. Sometimes there's a direct link between that thing you're so ashamed of and what God wants to do with you in the future. There can be a direct link between it. How funny was God to set Gary and I up to work in a young adult ministry where you're in that season of life where hanging on to your sexual purity is one of the hardest things you're gonna do in this season. And, and who better to share our story with and say, oh, don't do what we did. Let us cheer you on. Let us help you do it better, do it differently. Let us point you to a better standard according to the word of God. I love that because here's what the enemy does. I mean, he's a jerk, but he's good, all right? So first he tempts you to do something, then he makes you feel stupid for doing it. If he can't get you on the front, he'll get you on the back. And if he has his way, he'll get you both. So he'll say, that person was rude to you, you should ignore them. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I should. So you ignore them and then he's like, you are a terrible person, you just ignored them. And you're, you're not even realizing the same person that convinced you to do the ignoring is the same one that's now telling you you were a bad person for doing it. He says, oh, that person cut you off in traffic, you should lose your temper. And you're like, you're right, I'm justified. And so the words start flying and you're angry. And then he goes, look at you, little Christian you, losing your temper there in the car. Same person that tempts you turns right around and makes you feel like a jerk because you listened. He does it every time. See, now we've just exposed him. So now you can catch him. You can be like, I see what you're doing here. And it's not gonna work. It's just not gonna work. You think to yourself, you know, he'll, he'll put this thought in your head. You've worked hard this week. You should skip church. You should sleep in. And you think, you know what? You're right. I have worked hard. I serve at Lifeway most Sundays. I'm just going to take a Sunday off. So you sleep in. And then guess what? You wake up about 11 o'clock and he says, you are a terrible person for skipping church. Are you even a Christian? And he makes you feel guilty because you listened to him in the first place. 
When are you going to start making him sorry he, he ever messed with you? I think it's time. I think it's time we start standing up to him. One of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. It's, let, okay, let me just, let me rephrase that. My absolute favorite movie of all time is Shawshank Redemption. I have watched it so many times. I never get tired of it because it's so, to me, it's such a redemptive story. But I love the one line where, uh, where Morgan Freeman's character says, uh, Red says to Andy, you better get busy living or get busy dying. <laughs> and I think to myself, we better get busy living. We better get busy living. We got things to do, people. We got people to reach for the kingdom. We've got to get out there and make a difference. And it is time we make the enemy sorry he ever messed with us. It's time to take that very thing that he used to keep you quiet, to keep you shut down, and say, oh no, I'm going I'm to confess it. I'm going to talk about it to someone safe, maybe in my life group, maybe in my best friend, maybe to my pastor, whoever it is. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to bring that thing into the light, and I'm going to start living. I'm going to get busy living the life I was meant to live. I love Genesis 50, 20. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture. This is at the end of Joseph's life. And if, you, if you've read his story, and, or if you've not, his, his brothers betray him and they sell him into slavery. And years later, years later, he ends up, Joseph ends up at the top, right under Pharaoh. And his brothers come to him for food. They don't know it's him at first. But they, they're like, there's a famine in our land. We're starving. We need food. And here Joseph is, the one they betrayed all those years ago, is now the one saving his brothers. And at the end of his life, he says this to them in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. God can take the thing that the enemy tried to use to harm you whatever it is, the debt, the eating disorder, um, the pornography, whatever it is. And he can turn that thing around and he can use you to save many lives. That's how we stop the enemy in his tracks. That's how we say, you're not gonna win. You're not gonna have me. Galatians 1.10 says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. I think that's one of the things that God began to show me too is a lot of being scared to talk about the things I was ashamed of publicly was because of the fear of man. And I still battle with that sometimes because I have it on my heart to write a book for young adults, things I wish I had known in my 20s. And I can't write that book without including a chapter on this, can I? But here's the thing. I have a lot of relatives that are conservative and they would be horrified. And, and there's this part of me that I dread, I dread that day I dread that day. But God put me in my tracks one day and he's like, so wait, what you're telling me is you care more about their opinion than mine. My opinion is I've set you free. You're clean, you're pure, you're forgiven. Go on with your life. 
but you're gonna care more about what they would say if they ever read this in a book someday. And it stopped me short because he was right. The opinion of man is what trips us up over and over again. And so in those moments when we have opportunities, we gotta bring ourselves back to that and say, wait a minute, do I care about more about the opinion of man? Because let's just say every human in the world, you, you shared your deepest, darkest, darkest secret and every human in the world let you down, which won't happen. Not if you share in a safe place like this, but let's just say it did happen. Isn't the opinion of God still more important than the opinion of man? Our heart should always be to please him, period. Anything else is just icing on the cake. It really is. I wanna ask you to stand for some ministry time. We wanna just deal with some of this stuff and get it in the light tonight. Just ask you to close your eyes so that you can just process some things between you and the Lord. No one's gonna be looking. If you're here tonight, first of all, and, and maybe you're saying, you know, I don't actually think I've ever done that first step that you talked about in 1 John, where it says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I don't think I've ever done that. And so if you're here and, and you're like, I actually, that's the first step. I wanna make him Lord of my life. I, I wanna begin there. I'm just asking you, just put your hand up so I can pray for you. No one else has to know. It's just you and God. Just put your hand up. Just your way of saying, I'm in. I'm in. I want this. I want to be different. All right. That's awesome. Here's the thing. Even for those of us that might have already made that decision, we're still having trouble with the second part. I need to get used to the idea that confessing my sins to somebody else could bring me healing. Maybe it's time to bring this thing into the light. I'm gonna have Mike start playing a song. I want you to just listen to it for a minute. Process it with the Lord. Let it soak deep into your spirit. And then we're gonna pray together at the end and we're gonna deal with some of this shame that we've been carrying for a long time. Mike, you can start whenever you're ready.
Joy. 
not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask you all to just pray with me because I, I know we've all got our stuff. Let's just, let's just all pray this together. Just repeat after me. God, tonight I come to you in Jesus' name. And I'm ready to get busy living. I confess my sins before you. And I receive your forgiveness. I choose to walk in the light from this day forward. Because I believe you have the power to take the thing that the enemy intended for my harm and use it for my good and for the sake of your kingdom. So I come to you tonight, Jesus. And I ask you to give me courage and faith and strength to take that first step into freedom tonight. Thank you for loving me, for setting me free, and for giving me a second chance at life. In Jesus' name, amen.